Hello, Ruth. Hello. Hi. Do you remember earlier in the pandemic, we did an episode about how people were changing their cooking methods during quarantine? Yeah, we talked about this ourselves. Like we were both leaning into comfort food, but also like trying dishes that we wouldn't have necessarily had time for before. Yes, like I I made one of my favorite things, donuts, and they were delicious. And if I recall correctly, I think you set off your smoke detector making scallion pancakes. What smoke detector? What scallion pancakes? (laughs) How dare you bring that up? (laughs) In the midst of this conversation that was going on about how quarantining was changing the way we cooked, we didn't really realize necessarily at the time that the coronavirus, like the actual disease has been changing the way people eat and taste. What do you mean? So as more people get sick, like we're hearing about how people are coming down with this symptom of losing their sense of taste and smell. Oh, right. Yeah. Like I've definitely heard of this. And just in general, it seems like it's pretty common to have similar symptoms when you have like a common cold or the flu and... I didn't understand how this works. I recently went down an internet rabbit hole to understand why. And basically when you get colds um, or when you get sick, like it affects your cranial neuropathies, which apparently is a fancy word for brain nerves. And basically these viruses mute our brain nerves, the ones that control our sense of taste and smell. And just like I don't even need to go on the internet to know this, but it sounds like it sucks. But I figured, you know, if you have coronavirus and, you know, hopefully you recover that, you know, these symptoms just last for however long, you know, you're sick or contagious. I mean, yes and no. Uh, Coronavirus has a list of common symptoms, but the way it hits everyone seems to vary. Um, And you and I a few weeks ago started looking for people who this had happened to, people who had lost some of their ability to taste. I found this guy named Mike Sherlow. He goes by Chip. Uh, He got the coronavirus in May, and losing his sense of taste and smell was actually his only symptom. And it's lasted for six months, way longer than the time he was actually testing positive and was contagious. Oh, God, that sounds terrible. Yeah, Mike is a super interesting guy. He's in his late 30s, and he grew up in Arlington. Now he lives in Springfield, and he's got his own radio show and is super into curling. Curling? Like the brooms on ice sport? Yeah, he goes to these curling tournaments called bond spiels like a whole bunch of times a year, and he's super into it. But most importantly, he is super into food. Wait, he's a foodie and he has no sense of taste or smell? What a horror story. I tried, like, bold stuff first, figuring that it would trigger something. So, like, stuck my nose in a jar of garlic. Nothing. I'm Patrick Fort. I'm Ruth Tam. This week on Dish City, I talked to Mike about losing his sense of taste and whether or not he'll ever be able to find it again. So Mike isn't a casual food fan. He was actually so interested in food that he went to culinary school. He didn't complete it, and now he works on air conditioning systems. But his training gave him the cooking foundation he needed. I left school without completing it, having decided I learned everything I wanted to learn and already working. And I, I cooked in a few restaurants around in Arlington, some uh, consistently, some sort of in, in a part-time basis. And even after I stopped cooking full-time, 
I was uh, I was working in a hardware store. I still had a one day a week gig working at a place in Arlington that we did like lunch stuff on a grill, which is really where I was happiest. And I was with a bunch of people that I liked and I had a lot of fun. You have to really love it in order to make a career of it because it's high pressure. It's miserable. The egos are through the roof. Everybody's crazy. The hours are brutal. You have to love it so much that all of that isn't enough to deter you. So pre-pandemic, you would describe your relationship with food uh, and cooking as kind of um, maybe like one that is above like the casual level cook. Yeah, that's a fair way to put it. I, I mean, I have more technique than the average because I have some training and I have more understanding of ingredients than the average because of training and because I keep up with it and I, I try things and I read things and I watch stuff and it's pretty lucky and it's pretty fun because I, with my skill, with my technique and the time, I can just play around. And so pre-pandemic, yeah, I'm, I was a pretty adventurous cook for, for your average suburban guy. And what, how would that manifest on like a Wednesday night? Like what, what would you end up making? Well, so I don't have recipes. I don't think I I have written down any recipes except for when I have to try to get other people at the curling club to cook things. (laughs) Sure. And it's hard for me because I don't measure anything. So everything I did was kind of making it up as I went. (laughs) You're one of those people. Yes. Yes. I learned that from my grandmother. (laughs) And I, so everything I made was kind of an adventure, even if it was something that I had an idea where it was going to go. Like, let's say I was going to make pasta and I'm just going to make a sauce with whatever I've got. I've got a can of crushed tomatoes and I've got, I don't know, some basil from the garden, maybe some oregano from the garden. My oregano grew like crazy for the last two years and whatever else I've got around various veggies and what goes into the sauce is what I've got around. The balance of it is what I feel like if I want to go spicy that night, I will. If I want to throw heavy garlic that night, I will kind of whatever works out. And then, then we eat it. (laughs) What sort of flavors are you, are you drawn to most frequently? I am not a sweets person. I don't like sweet stuff at all. I never like for my birthdays as a kid, I would have like a donut cake and I'd eat one donut and that's about it. I don't like cake. I don't like cupcakes. I I had wedding pie at my wedding. Like I'm just not sweet. What I am is bitter and sour, acidic flavors, all of those kind of things. I like a lot of vinegar. Um, I like very hoppy beer. Do you remember how you kind of realized something might not be normal? Yes. I was hanging out with my family. We were doing whatever it is we were doing, playing with the kids in the backyard and I took a drink of a soda that I, it's a, it's a rockstar organic, which is a, I drink, you know, two of these a day. And so I'm, you know, I know exactly what it tastes like and it didn't taste right. I said, something's wrong here. So then I, uh, ate a strawberry. It doesn't taste like anything. It's kind of juicy and it's kind of tart, but I don't taste the like strawberryness of it. I said, I think there's something wrong. I'm going to go get tested. 
So then that Monday, I was walking along the parking lot, and I found a book of matches, like that they give you at the 7-Eleven. And I picked up the matches, and I said, well, I'm going to go strike one of these matches and see if I can smell it. Because you you can strike a match somewhere in the house, and somebody will smell it. That's how distinct it is. I struck the match sitting in my office, and nothing. So I went for a drive-through test, and they shoved a two by four up my nose, and it was miserable. But came back two days later, I was positive. Huh. What's going through your head at that moment? A lot of things. So I'm not somebody who gets sick very often. So I don't think I was worried that I was gonna like die or anything. But what I was really worried about was whether I had given this to my family unwittingly. And I have little kids, they're four and two. And I knew from what I was reading and hearing on the radio that they probably weren't at as big a risk as, say, my parents or somebody like that, who I had been successfully avoiding all that time, too. But it it's still kind of a terrifying thing. I, I totally understand the, you know, you're, you, you're, I guess, like, feeling confident, right? Like, that you're like, I think I'll be okay. But at the same time, there are so many what-ifs and unknowns and, like, I mean, there still are. It's it's just, you know, it's yeah. a, it's a so hard thing. Yeah, so that's how thing. I feel now. Because now that we have some research about people in, say, my cohort, younger, you know, I'm in my late 30s, that are, you know, they experience a the virus, they're, they're fine, but it does some sort of lasting damage that we don't know about. That's what I'm now walking around terrified about basically all the time. I don't think it's going to cause a heart attack or something now, but five years from now, maybe so I'm, I'm, I'm actually quite worried about that. How much like on a percentage would you say was like, what was like the low point of your overall, like smelling and, and tasting capacity? Oh, it was zero. Zero. I mean, it, it was like ketchup registered as nothing. Huh? I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't pick up anything. I, I think the only thing I could taste at that point was whether something was or was not salty. Where would you say you're at now? I would say a little north of 50% overall. I don't know because I, I'm not a very picky eater. I eat a lot of things. so But I, I, I'm still like making myself a salad with the same stuff in it, even if I'm not going to taste them because it's just sort of like maybe today will be the day. I don't know. And – but the things that I really like are all kind of not really there. Tomatoes aren't quite there, and uh, iced tea or unsweetened tea is not really quite there. But I want to get a sense of of what you're what you're cooking right now, um, in the absence of of your your large scale cooking cooking curling adventures. So I'm cooking the stuff that I might normally cook at home for my family. So that's going to be, you know, pasta. We did. I made tacos last uh, tonight with uh, some ground turkey. I made a chicken stir fry yesterday with whatever veggies I had around and some 
sauce from a bottle that I didn't bother to doctor very much. <laughs> and um, over the weekend, I made turkey burgers with blue cheese in the middle of them that came out pretty well. And a couple weeks before that, I smoked a brisket. That came out really nice. So I think I did a London broil the week before that. Just sort of rubbed it up a little bit and let it sit overnight and then just finished it off on the grill. So, you know, I'm not cooking a lot of different things, but I'm not trying anything that I haven't already done a hundred times. Uh-huh. So so does it feel like like your cooking itch is being scratched? Are you satisfied with the cooking you're doing? Kinda. Like I'm I'm doing the thing, right? I'm combining stuff, I'm chopping things, I'm needing to sharpen my knife just as frequently. I'm standing around by the grill, drinking beer and listening to music and willing the smoke to infuse, you know, all of that's happening. But whether it's coming out the way that I hope it will, uh, I, I don't know exactly. And, and also weirdly, my wife had to learn to cook during this. She doesn't cook at all in, in our house for obvious reasons. And, So she had to learn to cook. And the other silver lining to this is she might not have been that great at it. And I wouldn't have known because I couldn't taste anything. (laughs) But you can now kind of. Yeah, but she hasn't dared to try it now. And (laughs) uh, because, you know, she doesn't have to. But also, you know, I, I still might not really know. I, I really might not know the the flavors that came back are uh, sweet and uh, spicy and richness. So like I already put mumbo sauce on everything, but now I put like mumbo sauce on everything because I can taste it and it's good. Since May, have you been experimenting kind of proactively or has it just been like surprise after surprise of, Oh, I still can't taste this and I can taste this now. So I try things and I tried like bold stuff first, figuring that it would trigger something. So like stuck my nose in a jar of garlic, you know, minced garlic, nothing. I chopped a bunch of onions. It can make me cry, but couldn't smell them. And, you know, if I eat onions now, I get the sweet part of them and a little bit of the spicy, but not that oniony flavor. But also I started like eating things from restaurants that I knew like really distinctly what they taste like. So like uh, over in Loman's Plaza, there's a Bon Me place, uh, DC sandwich. I've been going there for basically my whole life. And they have a Barbecue pork sandwich, they call it. I think it's number 19. Very highly recommend. Great sandwich. And there's all kinds of stuff in there that I should be able to taste. And it's pretty muted. It's just not, you know, the richness from the pork and the the sort of mayo and pate and stuff. That I can get. And I can get the textures and everything. But the, the daikon radishes and stuff, the pickled things just isn't quite right. The cilantro is not quite right. The jalapenos are spicy, but they, they're no, it's no, the acidic part of them is the fruity flavor of them is kind of gone. So I did that. I went to, I got like my favorite hot and sour soup. It didn't quite taste right. 
So I tried things that I knew what they tasted like, but I think I know what they, because pe- people don't have a very good sense for like remembering flavor. I don't know if you ever did any research into that, but it's pretty interesting. Mm. But like, I think I know what they ought to taste like. and It doesn't quite taste like that. So I tried, but like I could get, I remember when I could taste a pickle again. That was pretty exciting. <laughs> so like each time something comes back, it's like, whoa, this is, it's back. But some things I still can't smell. So like when the baby poops, I have no idea. I can't smell poop, and which is great for changing diapers, but it's not so good if you need to, say, find a gas leak or something like that, which I need to do at work a lot. When we come back, how Mike is looking forward to Thanksgiving. Okay, we're back, and I'm asking Mike how he's going to cook and eat Thanksgiving with no taste. Well, I'm thinking about the menu, obviously also because we're not going to be with family. Often when, in the years that we don't travel to my my in-laws, when we do Thanksgiving here in Virginia, I go to my parents and I, I cook at my mom's house on her electric stove, which I hate, but I do it. And then we have 20 people or something like that. So I make everything. I don't have to worry about having too much food. It'll, it'll get eaten. So make two different kinds of sweet potatoes. And I usually smoke a turkey and, and roast a turkey. And then I lie about how much smoked turkey is left and take that home. (laughs) And I make gallons of gravy and all of the thing. I mean, if you can think about it, I'll make like three kinds of stuffing, one for in the bird, one for in the pan and one for the experimental that I felt like that year. I'm probably not going to do experimental stuffing this year because I have no idea if it's going to be any good and it's going to be smaller. It's just going to be us. So on, on one hand, it sounds like it's, it's kind of good because there's less pressure to, um, kind of do put on this thing for all of these people. But on the other hand, it's a, it's a smaller affair, which is uh, disappointing for, for obviously many reasons. I'm not worried about screwing up. I don't have stage fright. I'm never worried about being in front of everybody or being the star. I'm more upset that I don't get to do that this year. Hmm. And, and also with the curling club being closed, it, that part of it also got a little messed up for me. We we would have had our, our third uh, annual glitter bomb spiel uh, this just two weeks prior, which is the was the first in the states anyway LGBTQ bond spiel, and we got all these people from all over the country, including a couple Olympic curlers, ha- have been involved in this for some time, and. I've been the head of the kitchen since its inception and people come all the way from Canada and all the way from the far reaches of the curling world and Minnesota and all that stuff. And they always talk about the food. And I know it's not like winning a James Beard award or something like that, but it's really nice to have people say, I remember that thing you made last year. Are you going to have it again this year? And the answer is maybe. (laughs) How would you describe the kind of the journey that you've been on um, it being what five months now and you're half half uh, recovered, I suppose? 
it's I'm starting to get to where I think this is how it's going to be. You know, mm. initially when I first started to recover a little bit of senses, like I I could smell faintly a rose if I jam my nose all the way in it and I could taste ketchup again and I was like, okay, this will eventually get fixed like everything else. And I checked with some of my friends who had been sick beforehand or afterwards to see where they were in their recovery of their senses. And the guys who, who had had it previously, you know, a few months ago, they were mostly, they were all the way recovered. Uh, some of them were like one or two weeks ahead of me and they told me, you know, sort of what to expect. And then I, I got there and it didn't come back. And then some of the people I know came out of this with no diminished sense of taste or smell afterwards. You know, they lost it for a little period and some of them never lost it. So I think I'm just sort of at the point where like, I think this might be what the world is like for me now, which is a little sad. Actually, it's a lot sad. Is it better to like have something and know it doesn't taste right or not be able to taste it? This is an interesting question and one I actually coincidentally discovered somebody who could fill me in on while I was out. So while I was out, I had to call my IT department at work and the uh, woman who worked in that, who like served, supported our office I told her that I was out and that I couldn't smell anything. And she goes, I've never smelt anything. I said, what are you talking about? She said, I was born with anosmia, which is this thing where you can't smell or taste. And I said, what is that even like? And, you know, and she said, you know, I'm really into texture. So when her husband makes her food, he's not cooking for flavor. He's cooking for texture. And I said, well, that, I guess that makes sense. So I started to pay, I won't say exclusive attention to texture, but more so than I would have. Obviously, texture is always a very important part of food. But I started to pay a lot more attention to it now because it's a thing that I can manipulate and change and have some experience with, and the flavor is not quite there. What's an example of that? I can notice the how done pasta is better. I care more about that. I didn't used to care very much. You know, I'd cook the pasta, let it simmer in the sauce for a little bit. It's done, you know, whatever. But I'm not showing off. I'm not on Chopped tonight. It's not a big deal. But now it's like it is a big deal because this is the only thing that I have any control over. Or I started to pay. I'm not a big bread guy, but I started to eat bread in a way that mattered because there was differences in the texture of different kinds of bread that I might not be able to detect a difference in their flavors, but I could definitely detect a difference in the chewiness or the airiness or the crumbliness of, of bread. Do you think there's ever going to be a point where you're kind of just going to find yourself stopping looking for like the the re-experiencing flavors, I guess? I don't think I'm going to stop that while I still have little kids because 
it's important to me that they don't have that little kid palate, you know, where they just eat macaroni and chicken nuggets. And so I'm always making them, you know, I, I don't have this idea that kids should eat kid food. Kids should eat what the parents are eating and they'll either learn to like it or they won't, but they should get to experience it. You shouldn't limit them. So I think as long as I still have an opportunity to, sh- to show them new foods or, or have them experience new foods, I'm still going to keep trying. You know, like I, I got, I got a pomegranate the other day and I'm going to cut that up tomorrow for them. They haven't ever had pomegranates and I love pomegranate and I'm going to see if I can taste it, but regardless of whether I can or not, I'm going to keep exposing them to that kind of thing. So I, I think as long as I still have, uh, I don't know what, what to call them, blank palettes to influence, <laughs> I'm going to do it. I really love how into food Mike is and how much he loves what cooking does to bring people together. Like, he didn't go to food school for the credentials only. He learned what he wanted to learn, got out to cook as much as he wanted to professionally, and now he obviously loves making food for his family, even if he can't taste it. Yeah, it doesn't seem like Mike thinks losing his sense of taste is going to doom him, but it's important for how he brings his family together and teaches his kids what he loves. Not to mention his curling family, too. This episode of Dish City was produced by me, Ruth Tam. And me, Patrick Fort. Our managing producer is Ponzi Rutch, and Mike Kidd mixed this show. Mona Cashby is WAMU's chief content officer and oversees everything we make here. Share your ideas for episodes with us via email at dishcity at wamu.org. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at Dish City. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe to our show and write us a review wherever you get your podcasts. See ya.